Well, since we've moved up here to the Central Coast about five years ago, Angel and I have taken up some amateur gardening, from front yard landscaping to backyard veggie gardening. We just, we just enjoy it. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm in the office all week behind a computer. There's something satisfying about getting outside, working with your hands, getting your hands dirty. It's also very satisfying to eat the fruit of your own labor. I think it's true that nothing will get you to eat vegetables like growing them yourself. For example, I, I, never in a million years would I eat just a raw tomato. That's not me. I'm sadly the guy that goes to Taco Bell. But when we grow them, we, we eat them all the time, and, and they're great. But as I started vegetable gardening, I didn't know anything. I didn't grow up doing this. I grew up in the concrete jungle of, L- of L.A. There was no gardening there. Nothing lives. So we've learned everything just by, by reading, by trial and error, by, by YouTube videos. The first few years were quite frustrating, though, when we moved into our, our new house. One of the first things we bought was a, a new lemon tree, lime tree, and orange tree with containers to match. And, and the thought of having our own supply of these fruits without having to pay for them was very interesting and intriguing, and we liked it. I think the plants were already a couple years old when we bought them. They were in great shape. They were already setting some fruit. And at first, they seemed to grow and thrive, and it was pretty exciting for us new gardeners. But after a while, their their growth started to slow down. The plants no longer seemed to be thriving. Problems started to pop up. I had no idea what was going on. At one point, the leaves started to yellow. Didn't know why that was happening. Then we had leaf curl, where they curled inward like little tubes. No idea what was causing that. Then the worst of all was leaf drop, which, as you can imagine, all the leaves fall off, all of them fell off. And a sign of a serious stress on the plant. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know much about fertilizing or controlling pests and disease like powdery mildew or overwatering, which was actually, I found my problem. <laughs> but because of my ignorance, the plant suffered. They all died. And it was so frustrating that I just gave up on citrus plants altogether, convincing myself they, they must not just grow in our climate, even though our neighbors all have them. But being so discouraged, I just gave up. Now, I bring all this up, though, because when you think about it, there are actually many interesting parallels here with this and, and the Christian life. Your Christian life is like that citrus tree. And at first, when you're brand new, things are exciting. Things seem to be thriving. You're passionate about the things of the Lord. You're starting to grow. You're starting to bear some fruit. Things are going in the right direction. You're having some victory over sin. Things are good. But as time wears on and the seasons change, you find some problems start to show up. You're not growing as much as before. Some new sin issues like disease and pests that they're they're gaining a foothold. Meanwhile, you're not really getting the spiritual food or or fertilizer you need. In fact, you're, you're becoming more distant from Christ and the church. It's like your plant has moved underground. You're not getting any of the sun's light anymore. You're just not thriving, so you're discouraged. You're not growing like you used to. You're not as excited as you used to be about the Lord. Things have just kind of stalled out. You wish you bore fruit. They just don't seem to come around anymore. The Christian life is not panning out quite like you you thought it would. And being so discouraged, you might just give up. You don't necessarily deny the Lord or, or even leave the church. But for all intents and purposes, the pursuit of Christ occupies very little of your life anymore. It's not, it's not your passion. 
Now, this may not describe you, but I'll tell you, it sure does describe a lot of people out there. More than a few Christians have stalled out in their growth and become so discouraged they virtually give up. However, this is one case where ignorance is not bliss. For a lot of Christians, I would sadly say even the majority of Christians, they have no idea how spiritual growth is even supposed to work. Like, how how are even are you supposed to grow? How, how do you grow in the Lord so you don't just stall out or your flame doesn't falter? Most have no idea of how the Christian life is meant to be lived, leading to an abundance of spiritual fruit. They don't know how to feed and water their own souls or, or care for their own souls. They don't know what to do when problems show up. They're left woefully unequipped. And over even my my relatively few years in the ministry, I've seen this problem, the shortcoming show up again and again and again. And so at the very least, I feel very bound to do my part to equip you, to make sure you're not among those who have no idea how the Christian life is meant to be lived or how, how you grow, how you care for your own soul. And so that's what we want to address this morning. You can open your Bibles now to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Last week we started into a pair of important verses, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. These verses are they're short though, and it would be very easy just to read right over them, pay no attention, just move on. But what you may not realize is these verses contain the blueprint for spiritual growth. They don't tell us everything there is to know, per se, but, but they set straight that the foundation, that the essence of growth after you come to believe in Christ. They give us a fundamental understanding of the process of spiritual growth. And if you don't get the process right, it's like driving a neutral. You can, you can floor the gas pedal, but you're still not going to go anywhere. So we desperately need to understand the mechanics of spiritual growth that we too might grow in Christ-likeness and bear fruit and serve him all the days of our life. So with this in mind, let's just be reminded of this short text, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You can follow as I read. Where Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Last week we started this passage. We covered the context and spent our time really just in verse 12, which pertains to to our side of this equation. Man's work in sanctification. Sanctification refers to that ongoing process by which we are made holy like God is holy. God makes us holy by calling at our initial salvation, but but we're not quite holy by conduct thereafter. And so the Christian life is largely about growing such that your your conduct matches your holy calling. Now that's a lifelong process. This sanctification, though, unlike our initial salvation, our effort, our works play a part. I trust you know that we're saved, we're justified apart from works simply by God's grace through faith. But thereafter, this work of sanctification involves our works. We we have to to work. We have to strive. We have to to do something. We have a serious task 
And Scripture is chock full of these commands and admonitions to strive after godliness. But this verse gets to the essence of what that's about, what that even means. And last time we spent all of our time exploring man's side of this equation, understanding the Christian life is, is serious. It's a lifelong battle or race, some of the metaphors used for the Christian life in Scripture. And at the very least, we eliminated any notion of passive Christian living. You can't just sit around, unengaged from spiritual disciplines, and expect to grow. You will, you will stall out. You will even wither. But that being said, we're not quite done because this work of sanctification is not ours alone. The work of salvation belongs to God alone. But thereafter, it's not like he just turns it all over to us. He's given us a part to play in our sanctification, our growth in godliness. But he's, he's still involved. He still works. In fact, God must work. Otherwise, we can't do anything. We can't grow at all. And so we, we come today really to focus now on verse 13, which balances out the equation and focuses on God's work in sanctification. And both are needed. It's not an either or. This is a both and. You must work and God must work. And so today we're going to explore God's side to our sanctification. And then we're going to take it one more step further and see the balance between the two. How does God's work intersect with our work to to produce real sanctification? What's the process really look like when we bring in both halves of this equation? We're going to find out. We want to discover what the real process of sanctification looks like so that you might bear fruit for Christ all life long. Last week, we, we really just covered technically number one, which was man's work in sanctification And now we we continue on with number two, God's work in sanctification. Let's look at the passage again. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We covered this last week. This This is our part, our role, our work. We are called to work out. Our salvation, and referring to the salvation we already have, we already possess, we are to now work it out, to, to live it out. That's our job, but we don't work alone. Verse 13, he says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, in a little bit, we're going to see how verses of 12 and 13 fit together. But first, let's just go through verse 13 by itself and figure out God's work in sanctification. And we'll begin with, firstly, that the subject of this work, which is God. The subject of this work is God. Just starting where we started last week, just stating the obvious, I know, but still, the subject in verse 13 transitions from man to God. Verse 12 was all about us. We were the subject, and we were being told to do something, to work. But now verse 13 transitions to God. He's the subject. And he's doing something for us. In fact, he's doing that same work we were told to do in us. And what work is that? Well, that hasn't changed. Secondly, the object of this work is sanctification. The object of this work is is still sanctification, just like last time. 
we're still talking about the work of sanctification. And again, that word just describes that the progressive process of being conformed into the image of Christ. We're used to hearing how God's power is responsible for our salvation. And so it shouldn't surprise us to learn that God's power is also involved in our sanctification, our growth into more of the image of Christ. Now, verse 13, it's really not all that complicated. Paul is plainly saying that God's power is working inside of us. This word for work, energeo, in the Greek, it's the word from which we derive the word energy. Energy, as you know, is required for all things. All movement, all work requires energy. It takes energy to, to stand, takes energy to walk, to run, takes energy to, to build, to grow. This is true physically. It's also true spiritually. For you to grow into the image of Christ takes spiritual energy. And this is something we've learned we have a, a hand in, but verse 13 tells us that God supplies the energy, the power to grow. It goes even further, though. Verse 13 says not only does God supply the work, the, the energy, he also supplies the will. You see that? Both to will and to work. Referring to desire. And this, this is actually quite significant. I said before, power or energy is needed to work. And that's true. But that's not all that's needed. You also need motivation. And do not underestimate the importance of motivation for getting things done. It, it's like working out, going to the gym. I'd say that's 25% energy and 75% motivation, right? Nodding heads. You all know exactly what I mean. You can wake up Saturday morning. You're brimming with energy, ready for the day. That little thought enters your mind. Yeah, I have all this energy. I should probably work out, go on a run, go to the gym. And you immediately crush that thought because you don't want to. You, you just don't want to do that. You have no motivation, and so you don't do anything. At the same time, there are people who, they come home after long days of work. They're exhausted. They have no energy left. But they still work out and go to the gym. Why? Well, because they want to. They're highly motivated. And I think we all know those are the only people who really get fit. That Their motivation carries them. The same goes with spiritual disciplines and godliness. Do you know what's more important than reading your Bible every day? Wanting to read your Bible every day. Because if you have that true desire, you'll do it. We're creatures of desire. We, we end up doing the things we want to do in the end. And so if you want to watch TV at night instead of spending a little time praying, you will. That's exactly what you'll end up doing in the long run. We will do the things we, we want to do. Only if you have a strong desire for what is right will you en end up doing what is right. If the desire isn't there, you might force yourself here and there, but long term you won't grow or change at all. Now if you get all this though, what's amazing is verse 13, it tells us that not only does God supply us with the power to work, so he gives us the energy, it also tells us he supplies us with the willpower the desire to work, both to will and to work. He's working in us. God is at work in you, both to will and to work. God gives us the spiritual energy we need and the willpower we need for this work of sanctification. 
In Mark 7, Jesus taught all of our actions come from and flow from our heart, meaning our inner man, our inner nature, our desires. God knows this. And so he offers us help, not just externally, but internally. He helps us change from the inside out. Realize, God has already invested in you, in in your salvation so much, he's not going to abandon you now. He did all this work to to bring you to initial salvation. He's not going to just let you go. Maybe like someone buying a $1 million car, but not wanting to pay the extra 20 cents for premium gas. God has already put a lot into you. He's saved you. He's not going to stop supplying you with the power you need. And I hope you understand how much it costs for God to redeem you. It costs the life of his own precious son, God the Son, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross in your place, paying the penalty of your sins, bearing the wrath of God for you. And he did that, though. That that was just the purchase price. That that was the price it took to redeem you from your sin, to, to buy you back from the slave market of sin. God didn't have to do this. He could have just left us in our sin, suffering a just judgment, but in mercy and in love, he sent Christ to, to redeem us, to save us, and, and you you. you I'm calling you to believe in him, to be saved. But naturally, it only makes sense, as we learn here, that, that after all this work, God continues to invest in us. He's not going to stop there. He, he continues to supply us after drawing us to himself, bringing us to salvation in Christ. He doesn't stop. He continues to work in us for this present work, which again is called sanctification. He doesn't abandon us and say, got you this far, now you're on your own, the rest is up to you. But he continues to supply us with the power and the willpower to live rightly before him. So this is good news, to know that God, he's, he's working. He's working in us both to will and to work. It gets better though. Thirdly, I can point out the location of this work, which is in you. The location of this work. From the subject of this work to the object of this work, now the location of this work in you. Verse 13 again says God is at work, where? In you, both to will and to work. The location of God's work concerning our sanctification, it's inside of us. God is not merely acting on external factors to try and conform us to the image of Christ. He's acting on our very souls. As we said before, God knows that meaningful growth it's got to take place from the inside out. It's not enough just to change your behavior. You've got to change your, your heart, your inner nature from the inside out. God is not interested in mere behavior modification, but that we do the right things from the right heart, from the right motivation. That's real sanctification, and God is working to that end inside of us to, to bring that about. You may recall John 15, Jesus taught on spiritual growth, using vine branch imagery, you know, he's the vine, we're the branches. And you've heard it said many times, even from me, as Christ says, if you're going to grow, if you're going to bear fruit, you must do what? You have to abide in him. It's like you got to plug into the vine. But you know, that's not all. Listen to that passage again. I'll read it for you. Take note that not only must we abide in Christ, but, but he must abide in us. Even more so, he must abide in us if we are to grow. John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, 
Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We often pay attention to our part. We have to abide in him. Otherwise, we can't do anything, which is true. But equally, if not more so, he must abide in us. His presence, his power must be in us if we are to bear fruit. Christ is the vine. We're the branches. And yet we've got to plug into the vine. We have to tap into the vine's power. But at the same time, the vine has to supply us with the power to grow. And if it doesn't, we're not going to grow. But like I said, the good news is, if, you're, if you are saved, if you are in Christ, he is presently already abiding in you. He's already supplying the power you need. You can count on him to do his part. And so the implication here is, if Christ is working in us, then he's working all the time. We have in our, in our very persons, wherever we go, whatever we do, any time, any place, we have within us, through, the, through Christ, all the power we need for right living. In fact, it's only confirmed in verse 13. It says, God is at work in you. And, and that, that verb for work, it's a present active participle. It just means he's continually at work in you. Anywhere you go, anytime, any place, Christ is at work in you, both to will and to work. And then really, just taking one more step, Elsewhere, we learn specifically that this work of sanctification inside of us, it's, it's more specifically a work of God, the Spirit. You might ask, how does Christ and his power continually dwell within us 24-7? Well, it's through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, which Christ himself promised to give to all of his people, to dwell with them, to indwell them permanently. Why? Well, this is the actual means by which Christ gives us that constant, steady supply of power and willpower at all times. It's the Holy Spirit who actively delivers God's mighty power to us. And so God's spiritual energy that we need, it's not potential. It's actual. It's it's already there. It's always on. Just think of the electricity in your house running through your walls. It's just always there. It's, it's ready, it's, it's available to power any device. You're not always using it, but it's always there. It's always ready. You just have to, to plug in and you have, essentially, you could say, a limitless supply of power. And so it goes with God's power through the Spirit within us. God is at work, both to will and to work, in you. Lastly, I'll point out, <coughs> excuse me, number four, the purpose of this work. The purpose of this work, which is for his good pleasure. Again, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Why does God do all this? Why does he continue to invest in us? Why does he supply us with power and willpower? Well, for the same reason he saved us, for his own Good pleasure. God sits in the heavens. He does what he pleases. He does all things for the glory of his name, for he alone is worthy of this glory. And in saving us, 
according to his mercy, according to his will. It brings him great glory and thereby great pleasure. Just like Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, which says that in love, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. God saved us according to the kind intention of his will. Why did he do it? It's all to, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all for him. And really the same goes for, for sanctifying us. God does it for the continual honor of his name. And as we are more conformed into the image of Christ, so we reflect the glory of Christ to the world. And this, this pleases God. Christ is like the sun. We're like the moon. And God is pleased as we rightly reflect and magnify his glory. It's not about us. It's, it's about him. But as we bear his image, so we glorify God, so we please God. And this is why he supplies us with that power. He wants, us, he wants to make us more like Christ for his own name's sake, for his own good pleasure. So this is, this is God's work in sanctification. The subject of this work is God. The object is sanctification. The location of this work is inside of you. And the purpose of it all is, is for God's own good pleasure. Now we're still not quite done because only now, at, we've gone through verse 12, gone through verse 13, but now we can, we can finally reflect on the balance between these two. Our work and God's work in sanctification. You know, last week, looking at verse 12 in isolation, you might think it's, it's all up to us. We've got to do everything. We've got to work it out. This week, you look at verse 13 in isolation, you might think it's all up to God. God has to do everything. He's got to supply us with the power and the willpower. You might even think, looking at verse 13 by itself, if you're not growing, well, it's God's fault. He's got to supply me with the power and the willpower, right? So I'm not growing. He must not be supplying me. But you see, neither of these verses are meant to be taken in isolation. You can't do that for either of them. In fact, it's all one, one sentence in the Greek. Verses 12 and 13, one sentence. And they're meant to be considered together. And so let's do that now. We've seen man's work in sanctification. Secondly, God's work in sanctification. And finally, the, the balance in sanctification. And this is where we want to really get at. The balance in sanctification. Now right off the bat, you read verse 12, which is all about our work. You read verse 13, all about God's work. And naturally you might think the balance is 50-50, right? It, it makes sense. God does 50%. We do 50%. Seems logical. God meets us halfway. It's like a partnership. He does his part. We do our part. And, and that's how it works. So 50-50, split down the middle. That's how, that's how this works, right? Wrong. It's actually the wrong model for how this sanctification process works. Sorry, I didn't mean to set you up so much there, I guess. <laughs> what you first need to recognize is that, is that biblically, yes, we both have a part to play in this work, but you have to understand God's work is primary. God's work is primary. His work is more fundamental. God's work comes first. God's work enables our work. 
It's actually clear from the text even. Look back at verse 12. We are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's, that's a command for us. But notice how verse 13 begins. He says, for God is at work in you. That word for, you notice, Paul, he's establishing an order of precedence. We must work, yes, but, but God must work first to enable us to work. We can't even really get started unless God is already working in us. God must work first. Think of an old water wheel spinning in a river. And the whole purpose is to take all this, all the energy of a gushing river and convert it into a useful form of energy, like, like milling flour or crushing seeds or something like that. They would convert the energy of the river into something else. And that water wheel could do a lot of work. You could get a lot of work done through a water wheel. But only if the river is flowing. The wheel is very important to get work done, but if there's no river, you can't do anything. You have a useless water wheel. Well, God's work, his job, it's like the river. He must flow. Without him, we cannot do anything. And don't take this fact for granted. And for now, simply remember God's work is essential. It's primary. It's fundamental to our work. But now to keep going, to, to further understand the balance in sanctification, you also need to get straight where sanctification really takes place, where it really happens. What I mean is, we we hinted at it earlier, where does God work? He works inside of us, inside of us. That's because God knows real sanctification, it's not merely about your actions. It's about your heart, your inner person. God is not merely concerned with your external behavior, but your inner thoughts and desires, your affections. Chances are, when you think of Christian growth, you, you focus on your actions, your speech, your behavior. You think to yourself, you know, if only if I did more of this and less of this, I would be holier. I just I have to, I just I have to, I have to stop yelling. I have to stop lusting. I have to stop being angry. And I've got to start reading my Bible. I've got to start praying. If I do these things, then then I'm holier, right? No, that doesn't necessarily make you holier. Don't get me wrong. Your actions matter. Yes, your actions do matter. But like we said before, your motivation matters just as much, if not more so. So look, you you can stop swearing. You can stop using unedifying speech. But if it's not coming from a place of, of a love for God and the glory of Christ, you're not being sanctified. You've not been sanctified. An unbeliever can do that. An unbeliever can reform his or her speech. That's not sanctification. Your heart must change first. Your desires must change. That is where your sanctification or growth in godliness primarily takes place. And look, if the tree is made good, the fruit will come. Sanctification, it's not about stapling good fruit to a tree, as I'm sure you've heard before. That's not how it works. It's not what it's about. I could have made my old citrus trees look a lot better by tying on fruit to them. So when people came over, they'd say, wow, you're an excellent gardener. Look at this great fruit you have. But the trees would be just as dead and dying. Instead, sanctification is all about making the tree good, that the fruit 
may be good also. If you take care of the tree, the fruit, they'll just come by themselves. That's just how it works. That's how God designed it to work. Just take care of the tree, the fruit will come by themselves. A few weeks ago, Angel and I bought a rose bush at Home Depot. We haven't totally given up on gardening. But I told her, she was picking it out, and I told her, look for one not with the best flowers. Look for one with the best leaves. Because if you find a healthy plant, the flowers, they'll come. That's what you got to do. And what I'm trying to say here is sanctification. Likewise, it's not simply about the externals. It's not about behavior modification. Dogs can be trained to act a certain way. Humans can be trained to act a certain way. But that is not the real growth and godliness we're talking about here. It's not just externals. It has to be heart change. Sadly, some parents have learned this lesson the hard way when their kids go off to college. They were well-meaning parents. They, They wanted their kids to be good and godly. Who doesn't? As a Christian parent, they were just ignorant about how you make a tree grow and bear fruit. And so their parenting was largely focused on behavior modification. Through a series of rewards and threats and punishments, they altered the behavior of their kids to make them look like good kids, and it worked. Their kids didn't go out partying because they'd get grounded. They didn't look at pornography because they'd lose their cell phone or computer. They, they read through the Bible every year because they got a nice reward. And all these external forces kept them in line. And on the outside, they look like really nice kids, really good kids. But what happens when they go off to college and all those external forces and behavior controls, they're gone? What happens then? Well, all those desires of the heart, which are there, and they were never addressed, well, they finally come out. There's no one stopping them anymore. The parents aren't around. Social constructs aren't around. And so, so many of these, these kids who either they were never truly converted or they just were never equipped as to understand their own heart, they go off the deep end. They're easy pickings for their own sinful flesh and hearts and desires, which were never addressed. But realize from this sanctification, it's not about behavior modification. The heart has to change. And with a child whose heart is truly changed, send them off. They'll be fine. They'll do the right thing because they want to do the right thing. This is true for parenting. It's true for your own soul. Just think about yourself, your own heart, your own thoughts and desires, your own sin struggles. It's not enough to merely stop doing this and start doing that. And look, that's good. Your actions matter, but that's not enough. That's not where the battle really takes place. The battle takes place in the heart. As we learned last week, there's a past tense aspect to our salvation. We have been saved. We have been born again. We have been made new. We've been made perfect in position, but not in practice. And so for now, there there is this ongoing battle where we have a new self, yet we still have a sinful heart with wicked thoughts and desires. And that, that's the battleground for sanctification. It's the inside. The battle is not won in your hands, your eyes, your ears. It's won in your heart, the level of your heart. Now, if you get all this, if you're, if you're tracking with me, the bad news is we can't change our hearts. We can't change that part of us. Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or, or the leopard his spots? 
then you also can do good who are accustomed to evil. Changing our hearts, changing our desires, our affections, that requires a supernatural power we don't have. Can you change the color of your skin? Just as much can you change your inner nature. You can't. That's bad news. Now, the good news is God can. God can change you inside. He has the power to do that. And he supplies it to us. God knows what we need, which is inner transformation. Just think back to God's own new covenant promise by which he provides for the basis of our salvation. And just listen, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, just a snippet of what God said he was going to do, which he has now done in Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. God knows to save us, to make us holy, he has to change us from the inside out. And again, as we learned last week, there's, there's a past tense aspect and a present tense aspect to this salvation. God has justified us. He has given us his spirit. He has made us perfect in position. But now he's pleased as we are progressively perfected in practice. We actually now live it out all those realities. To do that, the remnants of our old self must be crucified. Our flesh must be mortified. Our heart desires changed. How can we do that? We can't. But God can. And the same power he used to save us, he uses to sanctify us. And that is the power spoken of in Philippians 2.13. God's power, his, his energy, is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's already there, his power to change you. Through the Holy Spirit, God is working to supply us all the power we need to grow, to overcome the flesh, and to change from the inside out. And this is why all the marks of godliness in Scripture, they're described as what? Fruit. Fruit fruit of the spirit how do they come how do you make a a tree bear fruit you can't you have no power to make a tree bear fruit that's not in your power and and just happens well if you have got a good tree it, it just happens well likewise in christ you've been made good positionally but in practice you bear fruit progressively as you do what walk by the spirit and so galatians 5 16 Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. These desires are competing within you, and so you must walk by the Spirit. This now brings us back to our side in sanctification. You might wonder, okay, so we need God's power to grow and change, and and even from the inside out, and he's already supplying it, so why don't we change faster? Like, why don't we grow faster? How come we still have these sinful desires? Shouldn't it be automatic if God is already supplying us this supernatural power? Well, remember, 
That's true, but we still have a part to play. As we learn now back to verse 12, you still have to do whatever it means. You have to work out your salvation. You still have something to do here. But you see, now we can further clarify what that really means. I mean, what, what does that mean? Work out your salvation. Work out your sanctification. How do, you, how do you do that? Well, now we can understand your work. It's not about trying really hard to be more loving. It's not about saying to yourself, okay, this week I just got to try so hard to be more patient or kind. That's not what it's about. You can't, you can't do that. Your work is not merely focused on your behavior. Your work needs to be focused on changing your, your heart desires, your affections. But you say, wait, I thought that was God's job. It is. But here's the thing. God has already supplied all the power we need to change from the inside out. Think of that river. It's already flowing. It's a mighty gushing river, but the water wheel does no good if it's outside the river, if it's sitting next to the river. It has to immerse itself in the river if it's going to move and and, and flow and and do work. And so to, to boil it down, your work is simply this, to immerse yourself in the river of God's energeo, his energy, his power. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. You're simply availing yourself of God's power. You're putting yourself in the path of God's power, which already flows through the Spirit given to you. And so like, it's not, it's not God's fault if you don't grow. The river, it's, it's flowing, but you're outside the river. So what do you expect? Why, why aren't you moving? Well, you're, you're not in. You're not immersing yourself in the power he's given to you. Think back to where we started about my citrus trees and bearing fruit. Again, I don't have the power to make them bear fruit. It's just not in my, my, my playbook. I can't make that happen. That's up to the power of God in nature through things he's designed, like sunlight and CO2 and nutrients and water. We, we can't even make grass grow. But at the same time, no one would say the work of the farmer is useless. The job of the farmer is not to make plants grow, per se. No one can make a plant grow. But when you really think about it, the job of the farmer, it's really just to facilitate a plant to grow by simply exposing them to all the resources God has given. That's all a farmer really does. You take a plant, I want it to grow. I can't do it. But if I know if I place it in sunlight with good airflow and nutrients and water, it, it'll just grow. Just, it's as if by magic, but we know, you know, God is doing something through the systems he's designed. It'll grow. If I take a plant and put it in a basement with no food, water, or nutrients, what do you think will happen? But you see, God, in, when it comes to your spiritual life, he's already supplied you sunlight and air, nutrients. It's already there. And you're just hanging out in the basement wondering, why am I not growing? You must Put yourself in the path of God's channels of grace and power. You've got to just use the resources he's already supplied you with, with the Spirit's power. So now there's just one question left to ask. Okay, what are these channels of God's grace and power through the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, I bet you, I bet you know them. You have first the Bible. It's not just another book. What is the Bible but the living and active word of God, the sword of the spirit, the mind of Christ, 
which God uses to change you. You have prayer, which is your means to draw near to the throne of grace, to find help in a time of need. You have the church, where you find mutual edification and encouragement, discipleship, even rebuke. You have musical worship, which brings the glory of Christ into our present experience. You have the ordinances of baptism and communion, which are living pictures of the gospel to remind us. You have all these spiritual resources and more, and they all work together to do what? They change us on the inside. These are channels of God's power and grace to effect a renewal or a transformation where? In our hearts, our minds, our affections, our wills. This is how God changes you on the inside. And remember, that's where we really need to change, right? Romans 12:2. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's passive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, this is how. This is what God has given to renew your mind, your heart, your spirit, your affections, your desires. And so what is your job? What is really your work in sanctification? How do you work out your sanctification? Your actions matter. Your behavior matters. But if you really want to grow from the inside out, you must simply avail yourself of God's power. Put yourself in the path of God's resources. This is where your diligence comes into play. To diligently read and pray and engage in church, not as ritual, but from the right heart, and and watch yourself grow. Watch your desires start to change. And then, as if by magic, your actions will start to change because our actions always come out of our desires. Perhaps I could just wrap this up here using an example One of the greatest struggles for many men, and even some women, the pornography. You know it's wrong. So why do you watch it for those who've fallen into this sin? The answer is because you want to. Part of your sinful flesh and heart wants to. And so how do you overcome such a sinful desire? You can try behavior modification and external forces like never being alone on the internet and setting up blocks on your computer and and throwing away your smartphone. And look, sometimes wisdom calls for such things and that they're not wrong. But that's not where sanctification really takes place. You've got to do something about those sinful thoughts and desires. I mean, just think, do you ever go out into your garden, dig up all the worms you can find, and then just eat them? No. No. You, you probably, I would say, you've definitely never done that. Why not? Well, because it's disgusting and you have no desire to do that. You have literally zero desire to ever go and do that. And so you, you never will. But just imagine, what if that's how you felt toward pornography? Or insert any sin here. Any sin you're struggling with, what if, what if you were that repulsed by it? You'd say you, you've been cured, so to speak. You, you'll never do it because it repulses you. Look, I don't need any special help or factors to keep me from eating worms. I just don't want to do it. I will never do it. My actions are governed by my heart's desires, and that's where the battle must be fought, the the thoughts, intentions, the desires of your heart. 
Again, how do, how do you do that? How do you change that? I think we all say, I wish there was a switch for that. I wish we could just switch and not have these thoughts and desires of our sinful flesh. You might think to yourself, look, if I could change my heart, I would, but I just can't. And you know what? You're right. You can't. You don't have that power. But God does. He can change you. And in Christ, God has already supplied us with all that power, everything needed to overcome any sin, to walk in holiness, and even to change our desires. God's power is like the electricity running in the walls. It's already there running through you. So what do you, act, what do you have to do? Just, just plug in. Just tap in for the power. Read your Bible. Not as some religious chore, but because this is how you let the mind of Christ richly dwell within you, and that changes your mind. And you pray. Not as some duty, but because this is how you gain the strength to resist temptation and grow. Engage in church. Not as an obligation, but this is where you receive mutual encouragement and edification and the reminders you need every week. You have to engage in all these spiritual disciplines and more with the right motivation and and do your part. That's your part. God will do his part. He, He already has, in fact. The power is already flowing. You just have to get in the way of it, and he will change you. You will find your desire to sin just get smaller and smaller and smaller. Your actions fewer and far between. And you'll find your desire for the Lord and the things of the Lord start to grow. As you avail yourself of God's power and these spiritual means, you will find yourself more satisfied in Christ such that sin just loses its appeal. I don't need it. I have Christ. He's enough. Just listen to one final verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's actually a really packed verse. But it speaks of our present and progressive process of transformation. It's in the passive. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. How? Well, by, by the power of the Spirit. That's God's part. What is our part? It says, we merely behold the glory of the Lord. Just seeing his glory is enough to change us. It's like Moses. As you behold the glory of God and his son, you change. Like when Moses dwelt with God's presence in the tent. Moses changed. The things of the world grow strangely dim that the, the sin desires you have lose their luster, and then your face starts to shine. You now reflect God's own glory. You change. That is real sanctification. And if we had to condense down now everything we've learned, what is this process really about, this sanctification? It's about beholding Christ and encountering Christ's glory. It's about Philippians 1.21, for me, for to me to live is Christ, a living Christ. The Spirit uses the glory of Christ in our lives, which we behold through various means to affect that transformation. None of this happens apart from Christ. And so we read the Bible 
to see and to learn from Christ. We pray to fellowship, to commune with Christ. We go to church to remember and to worship Christ. These are all encounters with his glory. As we behold, the Spirit uses that to change us. And then we, so to speak, start to shine and reflect that glory. The image of Christ is then stamped in us. And Christ becomes our soul's soul satisfaction. Where, why would you go dabble with that sin? You have, you have Christ. He, is, he satisfies your soul. That is enough. That is enough. This is our work in sanctification, God's work in sanctification, and now really the balance between the two. God is working. He already has supplied us everything we need for life and godliness. Now you must do your part. Simply run to Jesus. By all means given, follow Jesus. Seek Jesus. Realize there is real spiritual power in your relationship with Christ. Not just to save you, but also to sanctify you. God will do his part. He already has. You do your part and run to him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior, the one who died to procure our salvation, to forgive us our sins, to give us righteousness, that we would inherit heaven. But you do even more. You supply that risen power to us, to, to now sanctify us, to further stamp in our souls your own image that we would glorify God and, and be a light to the world. And so, Lord, I pray we learn this morning, we, we must look to Jesus. Th- these things you tell us to do, Lord, they're not just rituals or obligations. Far from it. May we never fall into that trap. But you've given us the scriptures and the privilege of prayer, the church, musical worship, and so much more to behold Christ, to encounter him through his truth by which he changes us the lord jesus is both the author and the perfecter of our faith he starts it he'll finish it and we count on you to do that lord may we be encouraged to do our part knowing we'll bear fruit as we simply walk by the spirit we trust you to do your work we're encouraged by your work lord and now motivate us i pray for any here who who've stalled they've stalled out in their growth They've they've forgotten from where they came and and they've lost sight of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would rekindle their their passion by drawing them near to Christ once again. And as they see him or even come to know him, they would find that transformation in the inner man and their lives would change. They would overcome sin and, and glorify you. And by this, you are glorified and we are simply blessed. So we thank you for this blessing, Lord, that the privileges we have through Christ and through the Spirit, we give thanks. May we now work out our salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.